0: Welcome to today's show and with me is Andrew Raw. Hi there. Andrew is from the distillery 031, eh?
1: That's right. Durban's own.
0: Durban's own distillery. Andrew, you started about nearly nine years ago now, isn't it?
1: That's right, yes.
0: And were you a hobby distiller before that?
1: Yep, started off as a hobby distiller, um, got a license to be able to distill at home. Obviously, wasn't allowed to sell at that stage um, and then started building up the equipment. Till eventually my wife gave me an ultimatum and told me I either I needed to give up the hobby or I needed to make a business of it, but she wanted a garage and outbuildings back. So okay. that was about five years ago when we started looking okay. for commercial premises. Uh,
0: okay. So tell us a little bit about your background you i know that you worked for unilever but that's many many years ago Uh,
1: absolutely yes so i've kind of come from a commercial background um corporate stuff yes on the branding side so i worked um, in corporate for quite a long time um as an innovation manager at unilever on the branding side of things what sort of product um right across their business mainly on their personal care side of their business smelly stuff yeah that's it yeah so (laughs) lots of fragrances not so much flavor okay um then in in 2004, I left Unilever and started um, my own businesses, okay. um, which I still run today. The one side was brand consulting um, and design. And then the other business, uh, insights and consumer consumer insights, research. So research stuff. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's, you need special skills for that, don't you?
1: Um, you do. I spent learned quite a lot of that on the job at Genilever. I okay. obviously studied that as well. Um, and it's all been pretty useful in, in terms of building a brand and yeah. understanding what people are looking for.
0: Okay, but then agency stuff and what sort of clients?
1: Um, right across the board from big corporate clients to uh, smaller startups. Um, but, yeah, we worked across... We work, we've done work for the likes of SAB and okay. those type of clients as well. Those
0: must be more interesting than...
1: A lot more interesting for, for us, but um, yeah, it's, it's a lot bigger than anything in the craft sector, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: And uh, are you still involved in those, brand, those research and brand businesses?
1: So I've got a partner who's um, taken over the research side and okay. I just get involved from a strategic point of view. And the branding side, I've also got a creative director who runs it day to day but i'm I'm involved in the sort of bigger projects there and um, that's been quite a useful business to have in developing our own um, brands for distillery 031 so we've done all the brand work in-house and i'm involved
0: in that yeah tell us a little bit about some of the more interesting brands that you came across you've mentioned some motorbike brand that you were involved with
1: yes so a, a while back um i took the decision to start um, building my own brands or, or, or trying to get involved in brands where I had some kind of ownership and okay. involvement rather than selling time because that's yeah. typically what you do with an agency. Uh, no matter how well you do your job, at the end of the day, you get paid the same rate per hour yeah. and then you've got to find another job. <laughs> um, so I started looking for opportunities to invest in smaller brands. Uh, one of the projects I was involved with was Royal Enfield Motorbikes. Okay. Um, the other one was the Foundry, which is a building development and, and, and station drive. Yeah, uh, and I was very involved in the the development of the Station Drive precinct okay. and the, the identity for that.
0: And are you still involved in still
1: that? involved in that? Mm. Yeah. So when I left, um, or when I decided to to take my distillery out of my house and and uh, go commercial with it, I needed to find commercial premises. Yeah. Um, and in order to be able to get a license in KZN, it's a pretty long process. It's, it's typically takes up to two years. Um, and when you apply for your license, you actually have to have premises for your distillery. Okay. So you can't apply for a license and then when you get your license, yeah. to start renting somewhere. So you need to find premises and they've got to be zoned for um, industrial use. So you can't start it in your backyard or in a, in a yeah. restaurant or something like that. It has to be industrial premises. So I needed to find space for for the distillery, um, and I knew that I was going to be holding onto the space for a long time and not getting any return on it. Yeah. So I figured that um, it would work quite well to find a space that I could use for my other businesses and, and okay. set up the distillery at the same time. And that's when I started looking for spaces. Um, I'd seen what had happened in other cities. Yeah, uh, other cities, exactly. Mm. Um, traveled quite a lot in the US and the UK and seen urban renewal zones there. And then I saw what happened in Bramfontein and Joburg and Maboneng, and then down Cape Town and Woodstock. And I just kind of kept thinking something was going to happen in Durban and it never did. There were a lot of talk about
0: developments. So um, everybody was waiting for you to start.
1: Well, it turns <laughs> out it seems like it was. I, I was waiting for everyone else and no one did it. So eventually necessity is kind of the mother of invention. Um, yeah, I gave yeah. notice to our landlord um, for, for the um, agency business. I needed to find premises and I had four months and the, time, the clock started ticking and there yeah. was no, nothing developing. So I just decided to go for it and, and start developing something myself. And that's when I found the Um, empty building at 43 station drive it was completely derelict uh, an absolute state the ceiling was caving in the floor had disgusting blue carpet tiles the electricity (laughs) wasn't even didn't even have earth leakage and wasn't compliant so it was a mess Um, but it was a nice big building uh, it was kind of affordable and i saw the potential for the for the street it's an interesting street it's quite centrally located Um, it's right next to the railway line so it's got quite a nice kind of atmosphere to it um, and I saw there were other v- buildings also available which could potentially grow um, so I took the, the leap and t- decided to take the entire building which was a lot more space than I really needed for my business Did you
0: buy it or rent
1: it? Um, initially I uh, I was renting it and I've now since then got some investors involved mm. and, and we're uh, in the process of buying it okay. so yeah finally it, it's kind of No one has tripled circle. the
0: value I guess
1: Unfortunately the, the, <laughs> the owner made the money out of my hard work Yeah but that's the nature of the game okay. I guess. Um and at least I you know, I've got a home for the distillery. Yeah. Um and station drive has developed now. Loads of other businesses have moved in and the precinct has become really Durban's kind of creative hotspot. Yeah. So ultimately what I wanted in a in a A place like that was to have other creative people around me um and to have that kind of atmosphere and vibe um and nowhere in Durban was like that so now we finally got that in
0: station drive okay and what what is the foundry is it just a building or is it a Uh, business
1: um so the foundry is is the building um the idea with that building was to have a mixed use space which again is something Durban doesn't even have the right zoning law so we've had Uh, to work with the council to come up with a completely new Zoning category for mixed use space because um, it 's a relatively new concept, so the idea is that you can have manufacturing so our distillery below us we 've got um po- uh, that brewing company and s forty three in the building um, which is 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 manufacturing we 've also got a restaurant or s forty three as a restaurant yeah. and then upstairs um, is office space and Funnily enough, we've got Poison City who rent office space yeah. from us. So we've got someone who makes beer and someone who sells beer and, and a whole lot of other businesses and, in between.
0: quite a few guys that drink beer.
1: A lot of people that drink beer, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I think everyone drinks beer, so that, yeah. that's a common denominator. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's the idea with mixed-use spaces. You can have manufacturer, you, mm. you can have retail, you can have um, office space um, in one building. Because in a in a traditional society, you didn't have... An industrial area miles out, mm. and, and, and then residential area, you'd have your homes and you'd have your baker that lived on the corner, mm. and your pub mm. around the side where he'd be brewing his own beer. So everyone was kind of integrated. It's only relatively recently the cities have got fractured it's up. So like
0: we there. build m- Westmead and those Absolutely, funny places. Absolutely, yeah.
1: I mean, I guess if, you, if you're making chemicals and things which are pollutants, yeah. you want to have that away from, from other businesses. I guess so yeah. But with craft business, like distilling, like baking, uh, all those type of businesses, it works quite well to have it integrated with other businesses.
0: Yeah. Or you could even do like Lucy and Lee and live in your distillery and... and it, it well, I mean that, that is one of the time. things
1: on the on the cards for station drive is the next component is okay. to have some residential. Um, so at some stage, I think that will happen. Yeah, um, yeah that's the, that's the, the dream, I guess. Work never leaves <laughs> you, but it is it is nice to be able to work and live in the same yeah. precinct.
0: It sounds a little bit romantic, like a, a London or a
1: thing. It, exactly, yeah. the kind of loft living that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, when I spoke to you yesterday, I had um, an interview. with, with our friends from uh, from the Midlands distillery, and she said, I mean, they they want to do the same, live in their distillery, build a distillery in the Midlands somewhere and live there. And it, it sounds very romantic. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm where you lived on a working farm, and all I wanted was to, to live somewhere where which was away from all the hustle and bustle of, of the workday.
1: Yeah, I definitely think there <laughs> is something to be said for that. Um, when you've got your own business you live it and eat it and breathe it yeah. and I must say just crossing the gaining and getting home mm. um, and being able to not think about work for a few hours every day yeah. is quite important um, because otherwise it does tend to take over yeah.
0: so in, in in the process of starting your distillery for, I mean, you only came onto my sort of radar screen maybe a year ago or 18 months ago When did you, if you say you started distilling, you moved out to your home five years ago. So, um, was it all in the process of applying?
1: Yes, yeah. So, about four years ago, we got the premises um, and we started commissioning the distillery and obviously got commercial equipment and started finalizing and perfecting our recipes and applying for the
0: license or did you have
1: it already no we started applying for the license we could do all that stuff we just couldn't sell it yeah and then we got our license in 2015 so we were actually probably the first craft distillery well definitely in KZN but after Jorgensen's and Inverash, we were the third craft distillery in South Africa I would say um and uh, so we were one of the first, but we started off um, predominantly selling through O Three One Bar and Restaurant, which is a, a tasting room and a bar and restaurant on site. Mm. Um, and then we started selling through. When did uh, you open that? That opened um, at the end of two thousand and fifteen, beginning of two thousand and sixteen. Okay. Um, we also started doing festivals. Um, so we
0: okay. have
1: done Essay on Tap three times now. We've done um, quite a few. Um, festivals and gin festivals in Joburg and, yeah. and Cape Town and that type of thing. Um, and then retail, we started last year, um, so 2016 That's in KZN. It. And then this year we've started um, selling in Gauteng and in mm. the Western Cape. So we really wanted to build our base right before we started yeah. trying to sell because if you don't support your customers and you, you can't give the kind of service, you end up getting listed and then very quickly yeah. delisted. delisted it's not what we yeah. wanted. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the first distilleries... Definitely the first one that I visited was Roger Johansson. Yes. And you know, I wonder how many years that was when that when was. But um, certainly very interesting character and very helpful in teaching and spreading the gospel, I think. Absolutely. Um, but I remember looking for Dragon Ginger Beer and he was sharing a premises with Wood, Woodstock Distillery Yes, and, and that for me was the first time where I saw so, saw just alcohol flowing out of a distill a, a still, and you know, with a vessel catching it, and the actual process of of distilling. For me, that was the first, and uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, that was even before I knew about inverroche, I think.
1: Yeah, so that would have been probably two thousand and beginning of. 2016 late 2015 i think that's when um woodstock started distilling um dragon has been around for a long time um they've been going for about five years and we're actually working quite closely with them in terms of sales and that type of thing they've got a really good product with their ginger beer
0: yeah yeah i know i I had them they stayed with me the last time they were in durban i've got a little cottage on the property and i always invite the, the I say it's the brewer's cottage. Any brewer from around the country is welcome to stay in, in the cottage. And as long
1: as they pay paying beer.
0: They don't pay in beer. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny. Really but it's, it's, it's quite nice to, to just uh, get to know the guys. And when I'm in Cape Town... You know, I know what it's like when you have to stay in rented accommodation or in B&B or in a hotel, it's just horrible. Yeah, yeah so you don't really
1: get to see a city yeah. by staying in accommodation. Yeah, like
0: exactly. That. So it's quite nice to have... I've had uh, Florian from Triple Three stay here yes, before yes. and he just stayed a whole week and he oh, said it was like they? being on holiday. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it is quite nice. Um, but back to, back to your story. Um, so... How, how's the restaurant doing? Have, have have you found that it's 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 getting traction?
1: Yes, yeah, know People are very responsive to that. Um, we've uh, the tours and tastings are popular, um, and okay. people haven't really experienced a distillery in KZM. Yeah. so for them, there's a lot of education that happens, which they find interesting. Yeah. Also, the industrial space is quite unique, mm-hmm. um, and we're finding a lot of um, corporates and and people who are looking for a function venue come and use um, 031 because we've got a lovely view over the uh, railway line. It's quite photogenic. Um, There's a lot of space. Um, One of the bonuses of being in an industrial area you can make a noise and you don't have neighbours getting upset. (laughs) So actually we're pretty pretty fully booked for the rest of the year with with functions now. A lot of corporates and birthdays and yeah. We've had weddings, engagement parties, okay. that type of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I attended my sister-in-law's 40th. She had okay, the, yeah. which was quite nice. Quite, quite festive. Yeah. I, yeah, I think we left a bit early. We felt a bit old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so is it is there a time when it's open to the public?
1: Absolutely. Um, at the moment, station drive is kind of going through a bit of a, um, a, a flux. So the council has, has committed to upgrading the area and turning the road into a one-way Um, improving the parking and that sort of thing it's actually
0: a two-way i always thought it was a one way yeah
1: it doesn't make sense to be a two-way because you just uh, you're very inefficient in terms of parking and that's our biggest challenge yeah
0: parking
1: so at the moment we don't open during the day for regular trading we do Mm. functions and private bookings and things during the day and then we open in the evenings thursday friday saturday and during the day saturday and sunday um so you don't need to book you can pop in mm. um if you want to do a tasting the best is to um to give us a call or drop us an email and book into one of our tasting mm. slots if you've got a group of people who want to come through for a tasting we can do tastings um, any day of the week mm. we just need to book you in and make sure that we've got space mm. available
0: and are you finding that uh, being upstairs from the brewery makes a is it a good thing?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very confusion? much of the belief... There is a little bit of confusion. A lot of people think they're at the distillery when they walk into the brewery. Yeah. Um, not everyone knows what it still looks like, yeah. fortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, we are very much of the view that the more people in yeah. an area, the better. It gives you a bit of sense of gravity. We have a lot of people that will go down for a beer and then pop up for a gin and tonic. Okay. Um, and they'll come and do a tour and tasting with us and then pop down for a beer right. afterwards. So there's quite a lot of synergy between the two businesses. It I think our so. biggest problem is, is, is just parking because it would be a lovely place for a lunch and a business lunch but no one wants to drive around and just look you yeah know, keep, uh-uh. so but I mean I think that's going to be a, a month or two and we'll really uh, hopefully okay. have
0: that sorted so the the other guys in the area that have a, I know there's been struggles with the zoning and the licensing and that is it most of that sorted out or is it still, um, uh, still a we,
1: we didn't have a problem with our licensing yeah. because it's zoned industrial which is what we needed mm. so that side of things fortunately for us was in terms problem.
0: of retailing your your
1: um, b- we got b- 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 all b- of our licenses at the same time okay. so we've, we've, got our, we've got four licenses we've got a uh, manufacturing license we've got a um a restaurant license so we can run tastings we've got a, a retail license to to Ofcom. have a shop an off-con okay. re- uh, um, retail license okay. and then we've got a commercial um distribution license okay. um so we got that all at the same time um and i think um esford or that brewing company has got similar licenses okay
0: so does that allow you to sell other people's stuff as well or just yours
1: it does, we could sell whatever we want. Okay. At the moment, um, our um, retail outlet, so we call it the shop at Distillery 031, mm. is right adjoining the distillery. Uh, so it doesn 't actually have direct street access mm. so it 's not really a, a very much a kind of a retail standalone mm. retail outlet at some stage we, we will probably look at um, stocking other craft mm. products and and having a retail component once the the parking situation is sorted out and, and there 's more of a retail component mm. in station drive because it would be lovely to to have a liquor store that only stocks craft yeah um, we will never be in the game of of stocking um, courts. courts or, or, or cheap <laughs> spirits it's just not our, our business no. I mean there's, it's a great business to be in but it's not what we were wanting yeah. to do but there's plenty of great craft beers great spirits and yeah. boutique wines and I think Durbanites are starting to, to, to appreciate that and yeah. I think if, if they came to an outlet which specialized in that well, they definitely um, would appreciate it and you see outlets like um, Tops and Hillcrest mm. um, Marriott Liquors doing really well because they've got an understanding of of the smaller Mm. players in the market and the more niche type um, areas
0: yeah and i've i've been working with uh, stefan and natalie in clarence and they've been sourcing some other gins so they've got a brewery in front and then the the gin gin tasting room behind the brewery and they've also got a retail component where they sell other uh, other gins i guess mainly and yeah I mean their
1: site in Clarence is perfect yeah. you have a lot of holiday makers that come and spend the weekend there mm. um, and then what better um, place to go and see um, products that you wouldn't normally find in your local yeah. bottle
0: store yeah yeah, so you've seen, have you have you had much contact with the other distillers, like Topanga and...
1: Yeah, so um, I'm the KZN representative on the South African Craft um, Distillers Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at the conference last year and I got to meet quite a few of the KZN distillers and we, we kind of connect and communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it, by and large craft distillers are in it together and they're mm-hmm. keen to help and to collaborate and share ideas i mean no one's going to share their top secret recipes but um definitely there to help and try and grow the industry as a whole much like the craft brewing industry was about five years ago craft spirits are still so tiny Mm. um and i don't think it's about market share i think it's really about growing the market as a whole just
0: growing the category and and
1: making people aware of it so for example there's a new distillery that's just started in um komiki Deep South mm. the Distillery, um, I'm friends with the guys that okay. have started that and, and I was down in Cape Town this week and popped in and had a look okay. how they're doing and they've done the same. thing. didn't send you samples? Um, I took samples back with me <laughs> okay.
0: uh,
1: yeah no, that's the other thing he's, he's
0: waiting to, for his license happy he to
1: share yeah unfortunately he couldn't sell me anything yeah. but um, he gave me some, some I've
0: also things. placed an order I said send us some stuff for Hillcrest and yeah. he said he's, he's not allowed to
1: yeah they're they having some issues with the licensing uh, it is yeah. a, it's a challenge I think getting a license in the Western Cape is easier because of the brandy industry yeah. so a lot of uh, traditionally wine farms would have a brandy still yeah. so the the liquor board there is a little bit more used to craft distilling, mm. whereas in KZN, it's, all new. Uh, it's very, very new. But um, even still, yeah, I think Steve and James have been waiting for about a year and they haven't got their license yet. In Komiki. In Komiki, yeah. yeah.
0: So the Midlands guys said they only took nine months to get their license. Sure, that's very yeah. quick, hey? Yeah. Uh, very, very quick.
1: Yeah, I think we did the hard work for them. So they, Probably. Because um, <laughs> when we first applied, the liquor board Didn't kind they? of wanted us to jump through the same hoops as a a massive big industrial distillery would. Um, So they didn't really know what craft meant and they didn't um, really understand the the process of of using botanicals, for example, um, because they'd never seen a distillery that used botanicals. They um, just expected us to produce a neutral spirit and then add flavor at the end. And We showed them the (laughs) process. It was quite an education job. But yeah, I think the the industry is slowly starting to mature a bit and everyone's learning things.
0: So tell us a little bit about the brand and and the different products that you sell.
1: Okay, so um, Distillery 031, obviously 031 being the dialing code for Durban, although to be honest, uh, most people have cell phones these days, <laughs> so it's becoming a bit of a relic, yeah. but very much about um, celebrating Durban, mm. um, celebrating not just the stereotypical
0: uh, and Why beach not Durban front. Distillery? Is it not? Um, we I mean, just you're a brand kind of guy. But
1: we wanted something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, we also wanted um, to celebrate the urban aspect of mm. of Durban. So in Station Drive, uh, one of the things that was appealing to us about Station Drive for a home is that it's very much urban Durban. Mm. So. Um, you know, you've got this 80s uh, romantic view of Durban with beach holidays, mm. but there's a lot more to Durban than just that. There's actually a big creative community in Durban. There's mm. a massive um, music scene. And we wanted to tap into what Durban's okay. about today, the urban side of Durban. So yeah. you were talking about growing up on a farm, and mm. a lot of distilleries, particularly in the Western Cape, but in, in KZN as well, are, are on a farm. Mm. So they'll grow a raw material and they'll distill it. And it's very much that sort of approach, um, which is fantastic we wanted to have an urban distillery where we're kind of flipping it around. Mm. So rather uh, than be somewhere out in the countryside, we wanted to bring our product to the people that are going to be consuming it so they can actually be part of the distillation, mm. see it happening. Um, and the nice thing with distilling, as opposed to, say, for example, winemaking, is it doesn't require quite as much space. Okay. So you can do it in an urban setting. Mm. Um, and so people can actually get to know your product. And as the market evolves and we, um, you know, we grow we want to involve our, our customers more and more and be able to do limited editions and mm. show them things and, and educate them a bit and involve them in the process, which we couldn't do if we were stuck out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, that, that, that's the kind of appeal of being in urban mm. Durban. Um, then in terms of actual product brands, all of our products and all of our brands are linked to Durban in some way. So for for example, our vodka is 31 vodka. Mm-hmm. That's an obvious kind of name. Um, the branding on it is all art deco so most people don't realize but Durban's got the biggest collection of art deco buildings in the southern hemisphere Really? so after Miami I think we've got the next best collection of art deco buildings architects come to Durban they go absolutely nuts they can't believe what buildings we've got Durbanites just think they're old because they that's they've been old, built more than twenty years ago. Yeah,
0: that's what old buildings look like. <laughs>
1: they don't have an understanding or appreciation. Uh, so we've got amazing architecture and and art deco particularly. So that's the sort of um, inspiration behind the label okay. for our vodka. Um, then gin is obviously our signature spirit. Yeah. something we've um, been hard uh, at work with and and we're really proud of. Um, And our gin brand is um, Durban. So the original name for Durban was Durban. It was named after Sir Benjamin Durban. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was British and he obviously drank a lot of gin and understood what gin was all about. And that's the kind of tradition we're wanting to follow. Um, But uh, we've got uh, two gins at the moment. We've got a third one coming out later in the year. Durban Dry, which is our um, signature gin. It's a classic style gin. with a bit of a modern twist to it. We use... Classic gin botanicals, very high quality juniper, Mm -hmm. which um, we source from Tuscany. So very, very clean juniper berries um, with a lovely complex flavor. We use other um, classical gin botanicals like cardamom, coriander, and that type of thing. Three different types of citrus, so it gives us a nice fresh uh, nose to it. And then we use an interesting botanical, which is indigenous to kzn and that is um, the African rosehip. So, most people don't realize, but rose bushes actually produce a fruit, and the fruit's got a lovely, fresh flavor to it. Um, so, when the rose flower dies, the the fruit actually um, starts growing on the bush. Yeah. And we've got an indigenous rose in, in KZN, and that produces a rose hip, which we use in our gin.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so, that's our uh, Durban dry gin. Um, we're really proud. We won SA yes, Gin of the Year at the New York International Spirit Competition for that, um, and we won a gold at the London. Um, gin masters and silver in San Francisco at the international spirit oh. competition. So that's our, very much our signature spirit. Um, yeah. But we've also got another gin, which is um, our barrel aged gin. Yeah. That's okay. the first barrel aged gin in South Africa. Okay. And one of the few um, globally, we um, entered that into the um, gin masters and won a gold again in London for that. Um, and it was a relatively new category in gin. But we were quite impressed to see the number of um, European distilleries that are starting to play with aging.
0: Because that must most, have confused the Department of Agriculture.
1: Yeah, I don't think they've quite um, <laughs> got their heads around that, um, which I don't understand because one of the drivers for us with making a barrel aged gin was that it must taste like a gin. Yeah. So I didn't want to end up with a whiskey with yeah. a juniper flavor to it. Okay. Um, I very much wanted it to still be a characteristic
0: of the Yeah. What would be the difference?
1: So um, a gin typically has got a a much more fresh flavor to Mm. it. Um, You get a lot of those top notes. So you get the citrus, you get the subtleties that come through from the juniper, not just the the pininess. Mm. Um, You get some of the floral notes. Now you stick that in in a barrel and you age it for too long and all those notes get flattened out and you end up with a very one-dimensional spirit, which starts to take on a lot of the woody character Mm. um, and mellows out, but it mellows out um, completely. Now, if you're you're aging a scotch or a bourbon or a rum or something like that, you have a lot of very volatile um, congeners that you you want to mellow out. Mm -hmm. So if you taste a a moonshine or you taste a rum straight off the still, it's typically got quite a lot of um, top notes, very nosy um, and volatile, and, and it doesn't smell or taste particularly smooth. Over time, in the interaction with the wood, all those um, short chain esters Grouped together Form nice long chain esters And you get this wonderful Smooth product But um, that's, that's all very well When it comes to a whiskey or a rum mm-hmm. When it comes to a gin You don't really want that to happen Because the 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 flavors That you're getting in a gin Come from botanicals um, And you want those fresh flavors You don't want to lose all of that mm-hmm. So the way we, um, we make our gin We don't age it for too long um, We choose our wood quite carefully So that we get some of that wood Coming through We use French oak So you get some nice spicy notes coming through in the gin. It is mellowed out, um, and it's great as a sipping gin, but you can very much taste that you're drinking a gin.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've never seen any other... uh,
1: No, I've I've heard of a few other distilleries that have started playing around with it. So I think you'll start to see barrel-aged gins coming through, Mm -hmm. and I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in it, which is fantastic.
0: I think there'll be a lot of innovation in gin altogether, I think.
1: Yeah, we've already got pink and blue gins. <laughs> and so people are trying to push the boundaries. Yeah. And I think that's great. I think um, innovation is always good for a category. It makes it interesting. It makes yeah. it exciting. And it just means that, you know, you'll have your staple products um, that people are going to drink every day. And those are, those are always going to be your big sellers. But then the innovation provides interest and fun for the yeah, category.
0: And it grows the category. Grows it, yeah, yeah. And then you've got some interesting... Uh, absinthe you've got some liqueurs
1: uh, yeah absolutely so we as distillery O31, ultimately we're passionate about distilling yeah. um, we're not just about coming up with a clever name for a product okay. and getting someone else to distill it for us and um, for us which is what I would do and there's nothing wrong with that it's just a different approach so I think there's many ways to to own a a spirit brand or a beer brand and there's no right or wrong way for me the passion of distilling is is the craft um, and it's about a hand process where you actually understand the, 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 the art behind distilling
0: and it certainly sounds like you understand what you do (laughs) all those well, <laughs> I spent
1: spent a lot of time doing it because I yeah, love it. And I think yeah. if you love something, you're always gonna enjoy doing yeah. it. So that's very much our point of departure is is loving distilling. Um and in my journey um with distilling, I've traveled a lot, I've seen what a lot of distilleries are doing around mm. the world, and obviously gin was one of the spirits, but definitely wasn't the only spirit mm. so for example i went to a number of distilleries in norway which make aquavit yeah um which has got quite a lot of aniseed flavor to it. it's a traditional norwegian um spirit
0: and you can't find any
1: pomalonda or ligna, nothing you don't find that in south africa no an interesting nothing... linia is is aged barrel aged um but it's aged um for the time it takes for a ship to travel across the equator equator and back so you're looking at about six weeks worth of aging so very short aging period so
0: do they actually still send it to the equator or do they just no they
1: do Um, well so they claim so I went to their distillery in Norway and um, massive barrel house Uh, hundreds of thousands of barrels um, of all sorts of different spirits Um, but the the Aquavit they put into barrels in containers the barrels have to get placed on deck so that they get maximum exposure to the tropical heat, yeah. and then they send it off to Kuala Lumpur or somewhere, um, yeah. and then literally the the containers dock and get put back on a ship and sent straight back to Norway. Crazy. They never even unload them. <laughs> but it means that they get it means they get the original flavour. And the reason that they do that is because historically the brand um, was exported, okay, um, and it would have been sitting on a sailing ship and crossing mm. the equator. And in those days, there was no such thing as stainless steel tanks. So people exported everything from beer, and that's where you got your IPAs from, mm. uh, through to um, to spirits, which is why you got aged drums and mm. and that sort of thing. They were all um, sold in in casks, in oak casks, uh, and the fact of them sitting on a ship in the heat meant that they would um, get some of the flavors from the wood, and they would mellow out. And people realised, wow you get a superior product if it's yeah. aged rather than if it's fresh off the okay. store, Pretty much everything else, if you produce it, you'd rather get it fresh from the from the producer. Yeah. But um, spirits, fortunately, are a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I found some Linia at... Uh, all the last few bottles of Linia in KZN I found at Booth's bottle store. But I think Herve's got them at... Has it, he, has he taken <laughs> them over? Yeah. I've still
1: got a few bottles from my trip to, uh,
0: okay. to Norway. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, one of my favorites was always Bumalunda, which I, I guess is very similar to, to Linea and the German version with uh, one of the famous rock bands singing a Bumalunda song. It's, it's, yeah,
1: yeah. I think a lot of the northern European um, countries have got a tradition of, mm. a, of a sort of herby type spirit. Yeah. Um, and Absinthe is obviously one of the most prominent. And, and
0: but is it drunk? I mean, do is it is it popular or is it just a myth and a...
1: No, so interestingly, absinthe was in France at the turn of the 20th century, so around 1900. It was the most popular spirit. It was consumed in higher quantities to cognac, brandy, vodka, anything else. It was the most popular spirit in France. And then it got banned. And so for a long time, you couldn't buy absinthe legally in Europe. And then in the early 90s, it was unbanned again. And and started to become popular again. During the period when absinthe was banned, um, a lot of people moved to drink other spirits with a with an aniseed kind of mm. base. So pastis, purna, uh, okay. and in in, in um, uh, Greeks you've got ouzo in mm. Turkey, Raki in, mm. in, in in Italy, sambuca. Um, all of those spirits, all the high quality versions, are also made with botanicals. The difference between them and w- in, in absinthe is that absinthe is made with wormwood. which gives it a little bit of a buzz. Um, Absinthe's got an ingredient, an active ingredient in it, which is a stimulant. So it's a bit of a pick-me-up. So it's quite a popular spirit like that. Um, And in Europe, it's probably the fastest growing um, in the aperitif type category. Um, South Africans, a little bit slow to start, but um, as people realize that it is quite a pleasant drink, um, it can be very smooth if it's made well with natural ingredients, which is how we make it. Um, it's starting to become a lot more popular.
0: So how do, you, how do you drink it with water?
1: There are a number of different ways, and I guess there's never anything right or wrong when no it comes right to or alcohol. Whatever. I'll tell
0: you what the wrong way is, just straight. We, we bought a bottle of Roger's. Oh, we nearly died
1: so it's very strong absinthe um, generally is between 60 and 70 yeah. percent ours is 65 okay. percent so you're dealing with a strong drink stronger much stronger than tequila yeah. for example um, a good absinthe you should be able to sip and okay. that's how I would typically drink absinthe um, because it's it's very smooth although it's strong mm. um, it's made with natural botanicals so you've got a lot of the plant oils in it and, and it's got Ooh. a nice smooth flavor okay. The French way of drinking it, the traditional way is to drip ice water into it mm-hmm. and that dilutes it down. So when the French were drinking absinthe um, in, in, in 19th century Paris um, and Van Gogh and the philosophers and poets and artists yeah. were all having a good time and living the bohemian lifestyle. They were actually drinking it at about 15%. So like a glass oh, okay. of red wine. Um, they were still getting quite drunk and out of hand of but course. they weren't taking shots and setting it yeah. on fire or anything like that. Okay. Um, but... Uh, we also use it in a lot of cocktails, yeah. so it's it's quite a strong quite a strong distinctive flavour. But if you balance it nicely, you can do it phenomenally, and it can be really nice. We've got a shaken shooter where we combine it with our coffee liqueur, um, and it tastes just like licorice all sorts, and that's oh. been very very popular. Okay.
0: And the little spoon,
1: the story So the little spoon, um, typically um, when you when you. Drink absinthe in a French style, you drip ice water over it. Mm-hmm. Some people like their absinthe sweeter. So what you do then is you put a spoon across to a glass. So you're drinking it out of an absinthe glass, which looks a little bit like a wine glass. Mm-hmm. You put your spoon on top with a little cube of sugar. And as the water drips onto the sugar, it dissolves the sugar and sweetens the okay. drink. And then you take the spoon out, stir your absinthe and drink it. And you have a white, kind of greeny white liquid. It's quite cloudy. That whole process of adding water is called louching. Um, it's a French word and it basically mm. means to make it cloudy. Um, so people who like a sweeter absinthe would, would uh, use a spoon and drip the water over sugar. Mm. Our absinthe is naturally quite sweet, so we don't add any sugar to it. But a lot of plants have actually got sugars in them. Mm. So that adds to the sweetness. So most people that um, taste our absinthe don't feel that they need to add sugar to it. But it's mm. obviously something you can do.
0: And. Uh, th- if somebody I mean I, I know there's some commercial absence I think Edward Snell sells one I can't remember what Tube the brand is one of Doobes, yeah. now is that anything close to what you make or is it
1: look I don't like to um, Without places, be disparaging yeah, about sure. other brands because everyone has their place. But just in general, yeah. um, so not, no specific brands, but in general your cheaper absents tend to be um, artificially flavored. So, so, synthetic so they're stuff. synthetic flavors okay. and they tend to be artificially colored. So yeah. anything that's bright green is not going to be a natural absinthe. Mm. Our absinthe starts off pretty green, but the color comes from the plants. Mm. And over time, as they get exposed to um, UV light, uh, those ingredients, those chlorophylls from the plant, um, start to become slightly brown. So you'll notice a real absinthe, if it's more than a, a few weeks old, starts to get a, a kind of browny-green color to it. Um, and if it's bright green, then it, it's just not natural. Then it's not natural. And um, that's why they're obviously a lot cheaper, because uh, to make something from natural products only, it's far, far more yeah. expensive and more time-consuming.
0: Yeah, we were talking yesterday about when, when our had my own brands and that must be five, six, seven, eight years ago when the whole caramel vodka thing was so exciting and it was all just completely synthetic and beautiful, those flask bottles and, I mean, million dollar businesses, but now a couple of years later everything is natural and handmade and...
1: Yeah, look, fundamentally I believe um, that you need to start off with a quality product. Um, You can have the best advertising and the most sexy packaging and it'll sell for a while. But if you want to be a brand that's around for 100 years, you need to make a a good product. And um, a lot of those synthetic products, uh, they taste nice to start, but they have a horrible aftertaste. You wake up feeling not so good. Um, And at the end of the day, people are moving away from artificial Mm. and towards natural. And that's what we've tried to do. So you mentioned the caramel vodka. We've got an aperitif or liqueur, which has got a vodka base, um, and it's vanilla and baobab flavor. Mm. So you're getting the kind of vanilla flavors that you would get with a caramel vodka, but it's made with 100% natural ingredients. So we use Madagascan vanilla, which is a beautiful product um, with real Madagascan vanilla beans Um, And we use the fruit of the baobab tree, which gives it a lovely creamy flavor. And they combine to to give you a lovely liqueur, which you can sip, you can um, use in cocktails, over ice cream, um, in all sorts of different drinks. And the difference between that and an artificial product is that that you can taste the flavor. It's a lot more subtle, Mm. um, it's a lot more complex, and you don't have any of that synthetic aftertaste. Okay.
0: I mean, that is uh, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think I think people are starting and again, it does mean things are a bit more expensive, so you're mm. paying a premium, but people are starting to um pay more, drink less. That's it. You know, <laughs> it's people are aware of health um, yeah. benefits or the health consequences of drinking too much. Um, You can't drink and drive. So people would rather spend a bit more, have a fewer number of glasses of a higher quality spirit. And for me, that's the the responsible side to craft um, brewing and distilling is you'd rather have people appreciate what they're drinking and taste it rather than just drinking for effect Mm. and trying to get it drunk as quickly as
0: possible. And I see that you've also got a brandy. Is that...
1: um, That's been an an interesting collaboration. So we have got a brandy... um, and, uh, not, with it,
0: not with Jack Perra
1: not with Jack Perra no no <laughs> ours is a 10 year old brandy uh, It won a gold medal at the uh, Michelangelo Awards yeah. um, and it's an interesting project um, I collaborated with family friends who've got a, um, a winery down in Wellington Okay. Uh, one of the few properly certified organic wineries in the country um, and they also have a brandy distillery and they've got their own um, brand of, of brandy they they've been distilling brandy for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was starting my distillery journey, I went, they were one of the distilleries that I went and visited, um, and had a look around and, and chatted to, uh, to Edmund about his, his process. And I was uh, really impressed at the quality of brandy he makes. Um, and then when we started the, the restaurant, I wanted to have a brandy. Mm. And at that stage, um, you know, we, we either had your cheap commercial brandies, or you could pay a bit more for a premium mm. potstill brandy, which is what we started stocking. But I thought it would be nice to have a, a blend um, of brandy which I was involved in, so mm. I worked with with Edmund and came up with a unique blend for, for Distillery 031. So using his um, minimum 10 year old um, barrel aged brandy, um, all laid down in, in French oak, um, we came up with a blend which um, you won't buy anywhere else Um, really really nice smooth brandy kind of cognac style that you can sip um, Mm. because ultimately a good brandy is something you should taste and not just drown with Mm. coke nothing wrong with drinking it with coke but it it makes a big difference if what you're starting off with is a nice spirit so yeah we don't distill that ourselves um, but we're involved in the blending process um, and nice to be able to take um, a product like that and give it a more modern spin, so that's mm-hmm. what we're working on okay. at the moment. So I think if you, you were talking about Jack Parra, uh, he's put a very modern spin on, on Brandy, and yeah. obviously in the in the budget se- segment of the market. Um, we're wanting to put a more modern spin, but on the more premium side of the okay.
0: market. Yeah. Do you think there's an opportunity to do something with cane, which is so dubbing?
1: Interesting, um, a lot of people have an affinity to cane. Mm. Um, I've worked quite closely with, the, the guys from Beaver Creek Coffee um, yeah. on various projects um, and they at one stage had a cane brand they were wanting to to, okay. to sort of launch a craft style cane brand um, I think if you were marketing it right you may be able to do something mm. one of the things with cane and I'm talking about the commercial cane is really it's not a whole lot different from vodka mm. it's just a slightly lower grade vodka that hasn't gone through the same uh, quite the same distillation okay. process but you're not Dealing with a unique spirit. Mm. In a lot of other countries, it would be sold as vodka. It would just be mm. a, a cheaper vodka.
0: So, um, so what is the difference? I mean, a lot of the uh, c- vodka we buy in South Africa would be cane. I mean, cane spirit based.
1: Correct. So essentially, is that what, what they call spirits. So essentially, what those kind of distilleries do is they take low-grade molasses, mm-hmm. which is an by industri- byproduct of the sugar industry. So we use molasses for our distilling, but we use food quality molasses, okay. which is a premium molasses and doesn't have any of the impurities and the sulfurs and things. Your big industrial distilleries will take cheap um, molasses um, and they're then fermented and distilled with massive big columns which strip out everything. So okay. they strip out a lot of the impurities but they also strip out all the flavor.
0: And, the flavor.
1: Um, and obviously the process to distill it, there's cost involved in that because of mm. the time and the electricity and all that sort of stuff. So the more pure they make it, um the the better quality that spirit okay. is and the very pure spirit they produce they sell to your your commercial vodka brands in south africa and it's vodka they might filter it a bit after that but that's essentially what they do and then the the, the less pure spirit um their sellers can but essentially there's not much different in it
0: can you I, taste the difference
1: i can taste the okay. difference um but in a lot of countries, you would get away with selling that cane as vodka. Mm. It would still classify
0: as vodka. And is there, is there a legal classification here to differentiate between the two? Uh, um,
1: to... I don't think there is any no. I, any um, difference. I think that there's designations for cane and vodka, but I think if you send samples off and mix them up, I don't think know.
0: they wouldn't. The one is just red and the other one's blue. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And... Uh... Yeah, enough. but I think cane is, a, is at the moment, not much, not much happening with cane.
1: No, as I say, it, it really is a cheap spirit, and that's yeah. why it got so popular. A lot of people confuse cane with cachaça, which is a Brazilian spirit. Yeah. And we make a cachaça, the difference is with, with cane is it's made with a, um, cheap molasses, basically. Mm. Whereas cachaça is made with fresh sugarcane juice. And what's so you, the
0: difference between that and uh, agricole? Uh,
1: technically nothing but the process gives it a slightly different flavor profile the brazilians love their um, volatile components i think they leave a lot of the heads in when they um, take their cuts for cachaça so most south africans that i introduced to real mass-produced brazilian cachaça tell me that it smells like nail polish remover (laughs) or thinners Uh, and and so it's not particularly popular um but um there are some great cachaças out there in Brazil and, and they're very similar to rum okay, But They do age cachaças, do age? but when they age it it, it, it has a, a subtly different flavor to a, a rum agricole, which has got more of a rumminess okay. to it, yeah. Um, but uh, um, it's crazy that in South Africa no one has done anything like that. So that's why we launched our Guazulu mm. Cachaça. So... I've I've been to Brazil and seen how they do it there, and we we use the same process with a copper pot still um, to produce our cachaca, and you can use that in cocktails like caipirinhas, a number of different Brazilian style cocktails mm. and you get some of the flavour that comes through from the fresh sugarcane, so you were saying about cane, you don't really taste much of a difference between cane and vodka, there's a subtle difference but it's not actually made from sugarcane whereas a cachaça is actually made from sugarcane, so you get the freshness, you get mm. some of those um, green notes that come through from the from the plant
0: Yeah, and in terms of of the retail sector, I mean, that's another thing. When when I try and put the category together, I don't know where to put all these bottles.
1: It's a huge challenge. Um, and I always say um, I don't want to be at eye level, but then that's because... I'm a bit tall and eye level is <laughs> on the top shelf for most people which is a bit high yeah. um, but we've moved from a situation where you had maybe two or three craft gins and they were just stuck on the shelf next to all the other gins yeah. to a situation where you've got a whole shelf of craft gins and there's four other gins that don't fit onto the shelf yeah. um, which is great it shows the industry's growing I think it's going to mature and the retailers are going to have to cull down um, the number of products they have
0: and yeah. um, certainly Kane. Cape to rear and uh, the other one what's the other one Mainstay Mainstay you know they're certainly going to get less shelf space
1: they are and you know those are the kind of categories which are bought on price mm. and people who are drinking that aren't going to be spending three four hundred rand on a bottle of mm. craft spirits so they're going to go to the counter and they're going to mm. know where to find their their blue top yeah. and they're going to buy it at a, uh, on, based on price um, and that will still sell a hundred times what the entire craft industry yeah. sells Um, but I think with craft you've got it's more like the wine category people have got to see it they've got to read about it they've got to get to know it you need if you want to position yourself as a retailer that's selling craft spirits you need to have a fairly good selection Mm. you don't need to have every single product and you can't have every product but the one advantage of spirits over beers for example is they don't have the shelf life issues so you can afford to have a bottle sitting for six months and not Mm. moving and it's not going to
0: bad. And you can ship it because it's 300 rand a bottle and not Correct, you're you're not shipping water you're shipping fire water Do you know, I mean I met a a guy at Fannie Hotel I think probably 15, 20 years ago and he was having a pub lunch and the guy was saying that they used to get issued, I think he worked for a distillery or a sugar farm and they used to get issued a gallon of cane and then they had to water it down and there was a whole story and, and
1: there were a lot of different interesting stories around that so I think um, a long time ago yeah. um, uh, probably before the sugar industry was as regulated as it is uh, a lot of the workers on sugar cane estates had primitive little stills in their yeah, houses okay. and they would have made moonshine essentially illegal cane spritz mm. and probably didn't know very much about getting rid of methanol and ended yeah. up going blind and that type of thing um, and then some of the distilleries at that st- uh, some of the sugar mills at that stage mm. also had distilleries on site and they would issue their, their staff with, um, with cane now unfortunately um, because of excise duties it actually mm. costs um, 187 rand per litre of absolute alcohol so if you're Employer wanted to give you free spirits, they would still have to pay the excise duty mm. on it, so it gets quite expensive. Mm. So for your your average bottle of spirit, you know, even if you gave it away, you would still still be paying Sixty, duties, odd, 60 odd, odd round mm. and, and duties, yeah. So I, I think those days are numbered. I think the yeah. wine industry might still give their workers <laughs> um, their pub sacks with with cheap wine in it, but not so much in the sugar
0: industry. Yeah, you talk about workers. My brother's got some farms on the on the on the Orange River and they make his workers make moss they call it moss and what they do is they steal the grapes and put them in plastic bags and hide it in the in the vineyard and it ferments in the plastic bag and they drink that and they just
1: yeah like, no that must be pretty
0: not productive after no that.
1: no I can imagine <laughs> one of the things with um, with grapes um, is the the alcohol that it produces has got quite a lot of methanol in it, okay. um, because of the the skins yeah. um, and because um, of the grape seeds. So when you make a grappa, you've got to be quite careful with the way you distil it. You've got to um, throw away quite a lot of your uh, four shots because okay. it tends to have methanol in it. And some of those uh, informal producers, should we say, I don't think understand those principles, no. so their long term health is probably not very yeah. good.
0: Wow. And, and just getting back to the retail business, yes. I mean, how can we help the retailer? Again, you've got Absinthe, you've got Kashasha and and there's not a big category. I mean, where, do, where does where does one display the, those products?
1: So it's interesting. I think you've almost got um, two categories within in craft spirits. You've got mm. gin, which has mm. become this beast onto its own; it's got its own life. Then so you've
0: got you- vodka, which doesn't sell.
1: So you have got vodka, which is is in South Africa, um, isn't selling as well as craft yeah. vodka isn't selling so well. Yeah. In other parts of the world, it's it's the most popular category. Okay. We just don't have a tradition of sipping vodka. Mm. So if you go to Scandinavia or to Russia, you go for dinner with someone. They won't have a bottle of wine necessarily. They'll bring out a really nice bottle of vodka. Mm. They'll bring out some whiskey glasses, and they'll pour you two hundred and fifty mils of vodka, and you sip that neat. You don't even have ice with it. And you might have a beer on the side to quench your thirst, but you're drinking vodka. Okay. So now if you're drinking vodka like that, you want a nice quality vodka. You don't want something that's got no flavor to it. Yeah. Um, so in those markets, your craft vodkas are selling really well. Okay. In South Africa, vodka for us means something that you mix with lime and lemonade. Yeah. So people aren't very discriminating generally about vodka. But we've had some interesting people come through the distillery. We've had people from Poland, from yeah. Scandinavia, from Russia, um, and some of the other Nordic countries. And they're very excited to be able to find a vodka okay. they can sip. Um, but yeah, within the retail environment, you've got gin, which really now at this stage is, is the kind of flavor of the month. that mm. needs to be treated as a category unto its own. And then um, I think the opportunity is to then create a, a second craft spirits category where you, um, you group your craft spirits by um, category. So, for example, their craft rums, um, your cachaça would fall into mm. that, your craft liqueurs, um, your vodkas, um, uh, your moonshines. And over time, we're going to start seeing craft aged whiskies. Mm. You'll see um, some craft bourbons. There are a few craft rums on the market at the moment. Uh, we're busy aging rum at the moment, so in a few years' time, you'll have some nice rum from us, hopefully. Um, and at that stage, then your craft spirit category will be quite mature. Mm. But it, it's nice. It would be nice for people to know. Okay, there, that's craft spirit mm. within the craft category. These are the, the, the sectors that I'm interested in, um, and so they know. Okay, if I'm looking for a liqueur, these are the brands. Here's some cherry liqueur from Clarence there's some vanilla and baobab yeah. or some coffee liqueur from distillery 031 yeah. and they can make their choice like that
0: i mean we've at hillcrest there's there's some craft spirits from 2003 sure. from Vulderer or i, I can i don't even know who was distilling it. so wilder has obviously been around for he's been a while. around with
1: his grappa yeah yeah
0: um and that might might have even been a, a german fruit schnapps or something but well I
1: mean take take Wilder for example so the old man unfortunately has passed on mm. um, but he was quite a pioneer in South mm. African craft spirits although at the time it wasn't really craft in the sense that there was no craft industry but mm. he was a craft distiller yeah. um, and he made a very good quality grappa I, mm. I really enjoy his grappa now most South Africans don't know grappa so majority of his sales historically has been exported to Germany which mm. is where his family is from so he's had a really, really successful business exporting Grappa and built his business on the back of that. In recent years, they've launched a gin and started to um, Mm. expand, but their whole business was built on Grappa. If he was trying to sell Grappa in South Africa, he he would have been in a situation like that. So Mm. I'm pretty sure that there's probably some Ten-year-old bottles of Grappa sitting yeah. in, in in the tops, and that's not ten-year-old yeah. age. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just because it hasn't sold, and that's just because particularly in KZN but in South Africa in general, we don't understand the Grappa yeah. category. You go to Italy, and you go to other parts of Europe, and Grappa is a really um, important category. Yeah. So yeah, um, you got to be careful. Very very niche spirits aren't going to sell. Yeah.
0: yeah, it is. It is difficult and. And then there's also the difference between what I call pats stuff and, uh, you know, the Clarence liqueurs for me nearly fall into that. There's some other distillers that ask me to sell their stuff and I say it just doesn't, it appeals to kind of a gifting market, which...
1: Yeah, no, I think if you go to a particular um, place and there's something that's handmade and hand-labeled, then you accept that the quality isn't going to be quite as sophisticated. Mm. And it's fine. It's an experience. It, it reminds you of that experience. Mm. Um, but if you're going to be buying something in an in a, in a urban bottle store, uh, you want it to, to have consistency of product. Mm. You want the quality to be a little bit uh, higher. You want the packaging to be a bit more sophisticated. Mm. And that's where craft spirits have moved to. There's so, definitely yeah. a model... Um, at, at having a, a kind of farm stall style mm. um, spirit, particularly if you have a tasting on your farm. Mm. So I don't know what the plans are, but if you go to Nottingham Road Brewery, for example, they're making a gin there now. Mm. It's got quite a sort of basic labelling and that sort of stuff. Mm. And people who go in to 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 drink at the pub and see it's the brewery, to, they're to happy them, with, yeah. with that. It'll sell like that. But mm. obviously, if they're wanting to become a national brand then you've got to realize you're competing with gins from around the world and it's a different kind of market yeah so a place for everyone but I think you've just got to understand where you want to fit into the equation
0: and the biggest gains have probably been the the bottle supplies, haven't they (laughs)
1: Um, not console because no, unfortunately no, no, no they're the geared up towards mass production yeah. and, and we all of but us rocks,
0: glass and those,
1: those kind of guys yeah there's yeah. a lot of European bottle manufacturers that are doing yeah. well out of um, South African when spirits. I was
0: uh, when I was in Munich the other day at the drink tech um, there was a guy and he was a label designer and he displayed some beautiful bottles so I went, took some photos it actually turns out he's he's from the same village where Rolf um, from triple three years from, okay, and he designed the label, and he had a whole lot of contracts from Distel, okay, maybe through Rolf or yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. some contact. But anyway, there were some beautiful bottles, and mainly from Italy, I think. Eh? Italy, France, Italy.
1: France uh, Slovenia. A lot of these the the European Ecos, countries yeah. have. Um, you see, in South Africa, Consol is is a world class bottle manufacturer, mm-hmm. and we produce um, glass at. At a, at a cost comparative with China with Brazil, anywhere in the world because we've got massive mm. SAB, uh, we've got the likes of Distel and those mm. guys produce millions and millions of bottles so our, so console's geared up towards that they're not geared up for speciality glass, so mm. for them to make our bottles, the time that it takes to change the mould um, is the time that we should be produced mm. for so it's just not mm. cost cost effective for them In your European countries, you've got these, you've got massive producers, and then you've also got speciality companies which Mm. have much slower lines. We pay probably at least 10 times as much for a bottle as Distel would pay Mm. um, because our bottles tend to be thicker and higher quality, number one, but mainly that they are made in very small runs and they're imported So we're paying a lot for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, at the moment, there's no locally produced craft bottles that have core closures and are up to the standard um, that we would look for for craft Mm -hmm. spirits.
0: But you've got some innovation. Did that project work where you said, bring your bottle back and you could...
1: So yeah, what what we've um, done, we're encouraging people to to not waste mm. so our bottles are lovely a lot of people will buy bottles and take the label off you can soak them off in hot water we use a paper-based label mm. so it doesn't leave a sticky residue and they then use them for water and they'll keep it in their fridge and, mm. and have a nice, nice chilled bottle of water what we do for, for KZN customers is if they bring their um, bottle back they can get credit at our shop or at the bar and restaurant so it's a, a kind of a return process So it helps everyone. We get those bottles back and we can reuse them. Mm. And for your customer, you're getting something back. And, um, yeah, it's working reasonably well. Um, I think as people become more aware of it, they'll bring it in.
0: Okay. All right. And just explain again to the listeners where they can find you.
1: So um, you can find us in all good bottle stores. Mm -hmm. Um, At the moment, uh, Topps have a pretty good selection. Um, You can also find it... um, In a number of the other Norman Goodfellas, Liquor City, Blue Bottle, a number of those outlets. If your local bottle store doesn't have us, ask them. Um, A lot of bottle stores in South Africa are franchised stores, so they're owner run and managed. Mm -hmm. So it ultimately is up to the owner to decide what he wants to stock. So although we've got listed with their head offices, when it comes down to it, it's the owner that makes the decision whether he wants to stock mm. a craft product um, and a lot of the time he isn't necessarily a craft drinker himself but if you go into your local bottle store and you ask for one of our products, ask for some Durban Dry Gin uh, and they don't have it, the next time our rep visits, um, he'll place an order mm. um, and, and he, he'll get it to you. If you can't find um, us where you're looking, you can always go online, Cyber Seller, Yuppie Chef, they um, stock our products online, they'll deliver to your door or you can email us at the distillery um, on info at distillery 031.com, not .coza and we'll put you in contact with a, a retailer in your area that will supply and
0: you. As far as distribution, you've got Jogwood covered, KZN obviously and Western, Western
1: Cape. Cape. Um, we're busy finalising the Eastern Cape. I'm actually going to be down in the little town of Bedford next weekend to mm-hmm. open their garden show. I'm doing a, a tasting for the the garden folk there okay. um, and we'll be running a craft gin bar um, at the the Duke of Bedford which is a country hotel there okay. and uh, it's one of the more popular festivals in the Eastern Cape people come from East London and PE and uh, Plet to come and see the beautiful gardens in the Karoo so um, yeah we, we've um, got a distributor who's going to start okay. um, stocking us there so you should see us on the garden route um, by the end of the year
0: okay and uh, and then at the distillery that's in Station Road in just off Omgeni Road near the stadium
1: that's right so we um, 43 Station Drive um, off Omgeni Road just after Gobel Road before the Lion Match Factory and above the brewery above the brewery so if you see the brewery <laughs> Uh, carry on one flight of stairs <laughs> up, and you'll see the distillery. Um, during office hours, you can go up to reception, um, and we'll open up the shop and supply you um, with whatever you want. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And tell us quickly just this First Thursday thing that's happening in
1: Station Drive. Yes. Station so, Drive. So, so, I haven't um,
0: been to it yet. I've been def- to the one in Cape Town, but not here.
1: So, definitely worth attending. Um, yeah. First Thursday has actually started off in London.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, it was started by art galleries they were having a problem attracting people to their galleries and they realized the big problem was that art galleries are open during the week and people work during the week. Mm. So tourists were coming to art galleries, but Londoners weren't. The only time they could go would be on the weekends. So they came up with a clever idea and that was to stay open late, one Thursday night um, a month, okay. first Thursday of the month. Um, and it started off with art galleries and then people started having pop-up art exhibitions and food trucks started opening on the streets and pop-up bars. And it became a movement in itself um, and Cape Town being what they are, they started doing that a few years mm-hmm. ago, and it 's now become an incredibly popular thing on the Cape Town social mm-hmm. calendar uh, at the end of yeah beginning of two thousand and sixteen um, we st- no so end of two thousand and sixteen sorry we started doing first Thursdays in station drive um and it's become really really popular some interesting exhibitions uh, okay. performance art. we' are
0: on the street okay? on the
1: streets in the different um, spaces so at 031 um, one bar and restaurant we 've got uh, one DJ down in the bar and restaurant, we open up our balcony bar and we have different DJs up there. There's very often live music on the street. Um, the, the one first Thursdays, there was a, a indoor skateboard ramp. Um, we've had street art. We've had um, all kinds of um, exhibitions, lots of food trucks. The street basically closes down. People can walk around, get something to eat drink listen to mm. the music and then afterwards come for a cocktail or gin and tonic at and our you
0: bar. park in Umgeni Road
1: you park in Umgeni Road we've got car guards there's mm. normally about 15 car guards on duty so it's, mm. it's a big thing um, or otherwise catch a taxi or Uber mm. um, don't drink and drive rather yeah. get an Uber and have an extra couple of cocktails and okay. you'll have a good evening
0: <laughs> sounds like a good plan yeah okay Thanks, Andrew. It was Pleasure. lovely chatting to you. Thanks very much and, for having me. And uh, we'll see you at the distillery soon.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Right. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks.